You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. We're actually talking today about families and parenting and that kind of thing. So I just want to take a moment to promote to you our parent seminar coming up on November the 4th. From 9 to noon, I believe we have a slide. It's further in my message notes. Go ahead and bring that up if you can. From 9 to noon, we have this. Yeah, there you go. It's $10 a person or $15 for a couple. That's not to look down on on single parents or anything like that. It's just to encourage if both of you are in the the marriage, we want both of you there. So we're trying to make it a little cheaper for you. We know the costs. Um, That'll cover child care and all the things we do to, to watch for your kids If you want more information, keep paying attention. We're going to put more out there. But November the 4th, 9 to noon, the Empowered Parenting Seminar. We're going to talk about how to engage your child's heart. If this message at all speaks to you today, you're going to want to be there. This is not just for babies and preschoolers. Even if you go all the way up through high school, we want to encourage you to be there. Um, If you work with kids, if you're a grandparent who is playing a more significant role than you thought you would, you might want to come to this. We're going to pour some wisdom out. Let's say a quick prayer and we'll jump into today. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these babies and these families and a chance to talk about your heart for kids today. God, may you speak and move in this place. May you stir in our hearts and may you get all the glory. God, there are a lot of parents in this room and some of them are struggling in their parenting and they aren't exactly sure what to do. But your, your word gives us some wisdom, gives us some direction, some principles, and then we have to figure out how to apply it in our life. So God, give me the wisdom today to be able to speak that into people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, earlier this summer, I had the great opportunity of going back and visiting my parents and taking my family with me. My parents live in Akron, Ohio, the, the town that nobody heard of till LeBron came along. And so we're right outside of Akron, Ohio, and uh, visiting my family. And I'd stayed up really late a couple nights in a row watching movies with the family while the boys were in bed. And then a couple nights in a row hanging out with my mom and playing games. That's what we always did when I was growing up. That's how my mom and I bond. But what happened consequently of staying up really late is I got really what? Tired. And so when my boys are waking up, because they're kind of in a foreign environment, even though it's Grandma and Grandpa's house, it's not their bedroom, and they're really excited, because you never know at Grammy's house what the day is going to bring. And so they wake up early, and I was up late. And so consequently, I was grumpy. I know no parent has ever heard of such a thing, Right? I was not being wise by going to bed on time, but I wanted to hang out with my mom. But the next day, as things would have it, uh, I can't remember the specifics, and honestly, if I did, I don't know that I'd share, but I remember my mom asking me to do something, and I snapped at my mom. I'm 40 years old at that point, about to be 41. I'm thinking I'm an adult man. I got my own family. I'm not your child anymore. But moms, is that ever true? No, exactly. Oh, you didn't. Now, the worst part wasn't that I just snapped at my mom. The worst part was I snapped at my mom in front of my boys, not dad. I could take dad. I mean, he's 70 at this point. I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Dad, I hope you're not watching. (laughs) And um, so as God would have it, my wife ended up waking up, came downstairs, and, and she said, why don't you go take a nap? grumpy face. It's kind of how she said it. And I said, all right, that's fine. So I went upstairs, took a nap and I laid on the bed and I'm laying there trying to fall asleep. And as clear as day, I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you realize what you just did? I'm like, I realized it when I knew it. Shut up. You know, like you ever tell God that? Like, I know. Like, what are you going to do about it? Going to take a nap. That's what I'm going to do. And he's like, that's fine. What are you going to do afterwards? I don't know. 
So I took my nap, hoping it'd go away. I woke up, saw my mom, everybody talk. Because in my family, one of the dynamics is you don't deal with anything, right? You just move on. Except for that the spirit wouldn't let me move on. God would not let me move on. So eventually I kind of grabbed my mom and, hey, that thing, you know, I did, that's not okay. I was like, oh, man, I didn't even think anything of it. You're just tired. I'm like, no, I, I appreciate you in love covering it over with grace, but it's not okay. It's not okay for me to treat you that way. It's not okay for me to talk to you that way. I'm sorry. She said, I forgive you. I said, thank you. But I had more work to do because I didn't just do it in front of her, did I? I told her, I said, I will also go to my sons and tell them what I did was wrong. <sighs> so I did, and especially the one, there were two in particular who were there. I have three little boys, and I remember going to them, trying to get their attention, and my one son was like, okay. My other son was like, why did you do that, Dad? Can't you just say, okay? Because <laughs> your dad is a sinner, and I need grace just as much as you. And it's not okay for me to talk to mo my mom that way in the same way it's not okay for you to talk to your mom that way. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry you saw me do that. And I will do better next time. That was so stinking hard, isn't it? It's hard because here I want my boys to honor and respect and to cherish their mother, but then I'm not modeling for them what that looks like. Well, that's going to get well into everything we have to kind of look at today in a nutshell. Let's take a look. Our first verse, this has been kind of the verse that's been the foundational for all of us. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 21. It says this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we've looked at over the last three weeks, between Todd's message and my last two, for those of you visiting, it's okay that you missed it. What we've been looking at is everything that Paul has to say in Ephesians about marriage. And in essence, this one verse summarizes everything. So there's, there's kind of a, um, I hate the phrase pecking order. That's not the right word. But there's um, a leadership mantle in God's kingdom. There always is. In God's view, presidents and dictators have authority, and it's actually God-given authority. They will be held accountable to God on the last day for how they handled their authority. And we, as people, in and as far as what they're asking us to do does not conflict with what God has asked us to do, we're told to obey. In fact, we're even commended that we will be um, encouraged and patted on the back for doing good. But who's going to get any credit from God for doing bad? And that's essentially what Peter says in First and Second Peter. So think about this for a minute. This little passage, as it relates to your relationship, both with, your, with God, with your parents, with your spouse, with your kids, there's a priority. And it gets fleshed out over the next few verses. As Paul says, husbands, you're the leaders in your home. Wives, follow their lead. And if you're visiting because it's baby dedication day, and you're like, well, I don't like that message, then you need to go listen to the last couple of weeks. I've got lots of email and Facebook messages and hallway conversations and ladies saying, thank you for how you taught on that text. So trust me, I'm not preaching, ladies, keep your mouth shut, be whatever, you know, barefoot and cooking in the kitchen. That's not what I'm saying. However, what I am saying is God expects us to respect the authorities that he's put in place. With that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into today's primary text. It's in the very next chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Verse 2. 
Honor your father and mother. That's a quote right out of the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. That's interesting. What's the promise? Verse 3. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Well, first of all, I've joked about this many, many times, and it's not okay to quote Bill Cosby anymore. I realize that. But I did hear Bill Cosby say once when I was a kid that his mom told him, son, if you don't get it together, I'll take you out of this world. I'll make another one looks just like you. That's not exactly what Paul has in mind when he's quoting the Old Testament here. But do realize this. The first command in all of the scriptures that come with a promise attached to it. This is God's guarantee, okay? This is God saying, if you will honor your father and mother, then God will bless your life. Do you get the correlation there? This correlation doesn't stop because you got married. This correlation doesn't stop because you became an adult. Now, as I taught in the first week, or my first teaching on this marriage series, it does say that a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And there is a truth in that. But that doesn't mean that men in the room, you get to suddenly start disrespecting your mother or your father. That's not the intended consequence. So if it's true for you as a parent, how much more true is it also for the children who are still in your home and in your care? It's extremely true. If you want your children to grow up and live the blessed life that you have planned out for their lives to live, one of the major things you need to know is they must learn to honor you. Because if they don't, then there's a promise from God out there that's being withheld. Think about that. This isn't just Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is Paul and Peter reaffirming an Old Testament truth that exists in the world today, because it's how God built it. I've always found it fascinating. If you know the story, great. If you don't, it's okay. I'll summarize it. Um, in, in the early parts of John, before Jesus' ministry is public, he's kind of gathering together his disciples. And in this process, um, he ends up at a wedding, the wedding in Canaan. And uh, normal in that day, the weddings would last for days, sometimes even a week. They would always start with giving the best wine first and the worst wine last. Why? Well, because after you had a little bit of wine, you can't tell what it tastes like anymore. Well, in this particular party, they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him because this would have been huge shame on the family responsible. We don't know Jesus and Mary's connection to the family. All we know is that they're at the party, so they had to be either family or close family friends because they're both there. And Mary goes to Jesus, and she says, hey, um... Can you take care of that? And Jesus looks at her, and I love this because I've used this with my wife ever since, and he says, woman, true story, go read it for yourself. And it's not a sign of disrespect like it might be in our culture. But he says, woman, why do you involve me? You know that my time has not yet come. Now, whatever Jesus meant by that phrase, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it means at least this. Jesus was not intending to take his ministry public yet, but his mom forced his hand. How do I know? The next thing he does is he tells some servants, go grab some jars, fill them up with water, bring them here. And when they did, he turned, miraculously, the water they collected into wine. And when they took it, he said, now take it. Master of ceremonies or whatever, and they took it in there and they tasted it. They're like, 
wow, most people save the best wine for the beginning, but you save the best wine for the end. And we learn that Jesus knows how to throw a party. But in all seriousness, what you need to get out of this was Jesus' mother, and he's an adult. Best guesses say he's around 30 years old. 30 years old. Not married. So technically, he hasn't left his mother and father. But he's 30 years old, and his mom asked me to do something. And it didn't correlate with what God was leading him to do. But he had to be perfect in order to become our Savior. So what did he have to do? He had to obey. And he did. I've always found that fascinating. It's been a strong encouragement to me throughout my life that whether I like it or not, if my mother asks me to do something, I need to do my absolute best to obey. And in as much it doesn't conflict with something else that God has told me or encouraged me or taught me to do. Now, what I'm going to do is I wanted to put that out there for those of you who are adults and maybe struggling in relationship with your parents. Uh, one year, a man came up to me and he said, I'm struggling with this teaching on parents. I've got this really broken relationship with mom and dad. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You go out of your way to show them the love that they should be showing you. So maybe if it snows, you clear their driveway. Um, if they need something, you run to the store and get it. You call them. You send them birthday cards. You do whatever you can. But what I want to do now is turn the page on parents as adult parents to adult children. And what I want to do now is focus in on the rest of what Paul is saying as it relates to parents and their children. Let's take a look real quick at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin with this. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I'm going to ignore the first part of that verse, not because it doesn't have great power, because I'm going to get to it later. So all of you fathers are off the hook for a few minutes. Let's focus on the second half, where it says to bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, let's talk about what this means real quick. To discipline, I don't know if you know this, to discipline means to teach. Did you know that? In fact, the, the word to be a disciple is actually means to be a learner, or you might say a, a follower. So the word discipline, you see it in here? Disciple, take the E, move it over here. Disciple and discipline are the same. What's happened as a byproduct in American culture of verses like this is we have confused discipling with punishment. So when we come across words like this in Scripture, we always think of punishment. In fact, in American logic and philosophy, we are told that every action has a reaction. And so therefore, every action ought to have a consequence, either positive or negative. Whenever I talk about these things privately with parents, and I start to kind of blow their minds just a little bit with wrestling through these things, you can almost see them going, but that isn't what I was taught. I'm just going to ask for a brief moment that you just hang on to everything you were ever taught and just set it aside. Just go, okay, I'm not, Matt's not asking me to change everything because I don't know what you were taught. I'm just asking you to set it here for just a minute and, and just wrestle for a minute with some of the things that I'm going to say today, okay? It's not that I don't believe in discipline. It's that we have confused what the Bible is saying and we've cherry-picked verses to say what we want them to say or what we were told they said and we haven't looked at the entire 
package of Scripture together. Because when you look at the entire package of Scripture together, I think I can ask you one simple question that would clarify this verse on discipline and put it in context. Here it is. You ready? Every time you sin, does God discipline you the way that you discipline your children? You don't have to answer out loud. I think I know the answer. My guess is the answer is probably no. That every time, every time you sin, God doesn't show up to spank you, put you in time out. That every time you sin, God doesn't um, call you a name, shame you, make fun of you, tease you. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what your parenting style is, but I'm amazed at some of the things I learn as I talk with some of you. And here's the thing. I'm just going to guess up front. I'm going to guess that most of you don't know a better way. How do I know? Because I didn't necessarily know a better way. And it wasn't until really about four or five years ago that we started asking some hard questions from some stuff we were dealing with, and we sought some help. And some people started coming alongside us. We started reading different books. We started looking at texts a different way. We started bringing in other scriptures into our lives as it relates to parenting, and not just cherry-picking the five or ten that specifically talked to parents. started going, oh, wait a minute. You mean if I practice what I'm told to practice with my neighbor, with my child, then this picture looks a little different. But my child is my neighbor. They're right there in my home. But I pick which verses fit me the best. Does that make sense? So what I want to do is I want to give you some handles. I want to give you some things to latch on to. What does it mean, therefore, to be a discipler in your home rather than a discipliner in your home? What well, means two things. Two things, this. Two questions need to be answered before learning can occur in your child. Ready? Two questions need to be answered. You may want to write these down somewhere. Number one, is my child ready to learn? And number two, am I ready to teach? Let's talk about each of those separately for just a moment. Is my child ready to learn? I don't know if you know this or not, but when the brain gets stimulated, it tends to go into one of four different quadrants. It tends to go into what we might call fight or flight. You've heard of that, right? Fight or flight. Fight or flight is maybe what you might call um, a, a hyperactive state. You may see this in an animal who is maybe wild and enraged or something like that, but by the way, it's not dramatically different in your children. Have you noticed <laughs> that sometimes when, and I have three little boys, so this application will fit, that my, my youngest one, who believes he's one of the big boys, so he wants to treat the big boys like he's one of the big boys, but then when the big boys do something they're not supposed to do to hurt him, he quickly wants to be the littlest again. And he'll usually do this by throwing a fit and crying. Now, when I'm on my best game and I can see what happened or I kind of know what happened, I know to calm down. But after you do the same thing day after day after day after day, it just wears on you, doesn't it, parents? And you start assuming you know what happened, right? Rah! I said stop it. I told you now quit that. Would you leave your brother alone? Something to that effect, Correct. Now, what's happened when I turn and my voice elevates? Do you know what happens to your child? Their anxiety level elevates. And what happens in that moment is they immediately go into probably one of these four Fs, fight or flight. That's the mode where their brain is hyperactive. Did you know if somebody walks into Walmart or Kroger or wherever you are, Sweet M's Boutique, and you're shopping or whatever, and somebody runs in and yells, fire, what happens? Your heart rate speeds up. 
blood and adrenaline start pushing out through your veins. It's a response system God gave you to be able to make quick decisions in an anxious state that are going to maybe save or protect your life. And you turn and you look at the door and you're immediately assessing, what do I need to do to protect myself and my family and get us out of here? Did you know if somebody walks in Walmart and they don't yell fire, but they run in and yell, Pokemon! Same response happens to your body. Because you don't know what they did. Your brain is starting to quickly process, but in the meantime, it's shooting out what you need to survive in the moment. The same thing happens to your kids. When you walk in a room and they've done something maybe they weren't supposed to do, and your first response is to yell or to scream or to clap or to whistle or to get their attention or whatever it is. I've done all of these things at different places and times. What you do is you send them into a state of anxiety. Did you know that? And then you get angry because they're not listening to you. Now, what have I told you time and time again about your brother? And they look at you, and they aren't hearing anything. Why aren't you listening to me? And then they're more scared. I don't know. Well, what happened? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You were there. Ah. (laughs) You're going to clean that up. What happens is you're stressing your kids out. So the first question you must ask is, is my child ready to receive? The second two things you might get is what we might call hypoarousal. So if you imagine hyperarousal is fight or flight. I'm going to run or I'm going to fight. The second kind of response is the opposite response. And some kids do this. And I like to call them um, fright. They get anxious. Or fold. Think of like an opossum. Some kids do, they just shut down. And you think to yourself, man, that worked great. And I put my kid in his place. I told them, and they, they responded really well. But what you don't realize is your kid is actually becoming afraid of you, and they don't know how to deal with you. I had this friend of mine, and he gave me permission to use this as long as I didn't use any evidence that would uh, incriminate him, like telling you his name is Steve. I'm kidding, that's not his name. Anyway. <laughs> Um, my friend was having some, some struggles with his um, little boy, and uh, it was started coming up all about the school bus. And I remember one day I was talking to him, and he was just angry. He was just sharing with me, like, this blow that they had, and this isn't the first time, it's multiple times. And he said, sometimes, man, I just feel this rage raise up inside me. And I said, you know, there's probably something going on in your little boy. I said, what do you mean? And we started talking through some of these things. And so he's been riding the school bus for like a year. I said, listen, if he's been riding it for a year and suddenly you're having fights about it, something is going on. My friend decided to calm down and talk to his little guy, and it turns out his little guy was afraid. He was anxious. He was scared. Some stuff had happened or he thought might happen that left him in the state. So what happened was his son was acting out in his relationship with dad, and it was leading to one of these. But they couldn't work through it because dad was assuming he knew the answer. Remember, fathers don't provoke your children? Hang on to that. So... As a byproduct, the brain can go into uh, fright or fold also, this moment of shutdown. And when your child goes into a shutdown moment, you may find they have symptoms like their stomachs are upset. They start having acid reflux a lot. You might find that they're anxious or 
Uh, maybe even picking up some really bad habits of playing video games or TV or other things. If you have older kids, maybe teenagers, you might find that internet things start becoming a problem for them, possibly drugs or alcohol. And here's the thing, like when, when it's going on in these states is they're going into a whole different set of anxiety behaviors. And all of this affects our parenting because if we approach parenting only through one prism, I am in charge. They must obey me. Every time they disobey me, I must discipline them to get them back in order to following my lead again. And again, I come back to this question, is that how God treats you? Well, I'll tell you this morning, as I woke up and went for my morning run, I've been listening to a book by Lecrae, highly recommend it, called Unashamed. Highly recommend it. <clears throat> and as Lecrae is really talking about his life, there are natural points of time where he bumps up against some consequences that God has allowed to come into his life to course correct him. But I'll tell you, after everything he did, no, he wasn't being majorly disciplined. And you will notice in your life that's true too. So does, what does that mean? Well, let's get to the second point real quick. Am I ready to teach? <clears throat> Am I ready to teach? So you'll notice when your kids begin to disobey you parents, there's something inside you, depending on the way you raised, were raised, depending on what your maybe emotional needs are and what place you have your children in your lives. Have your children replaced your spouse in your life? You, you'll know it. And when it comes to the discipline, have your children replaced God in your life? You'll know it when it comes to discipline in the rest of your life. But let's just say for a minute, <clears throat> the moment happens, whatever occurs, occurs. If your heart, and I see this a lot in the ladies, if your heart immediately goes to, I don't want to do anything that's going to compromise our friendship, our relationship, and then you're going to tend to handle everything else from there through that lens Oh, I'm so afraid, you know, I'm maybe codependent or emotionally attached to my child instead of to my spouse or to God. So therefore, I need them to be okay with me in order for me to be okay. Except that that's not the order that God has placed things in. As we talked about two weeks ago, God has placed the order so that men, you would be connected to God and your wife and your children could go to you to get what they need. But in a situation where the husband is not connected to God, and so when you plug into him, wives, you find that you're not getting what you need. So then you need to plug directly into God. We talked about that last week. So that your children can plug into you. But if you're plugging into your children instead of into God, then what you're going to find is it's a very unhealthy relationship. And some of you today have serious, profound wounds because that was your story. Dad was disengaged, absent, abusive, whatever the story may be. And so you had an unhealthy codependency with mom. <clears throat> and moms, I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. So ask yourself this question. Am I ready to teach them? Because... If they're ready to learn, am I ready to deliver? The other day, my son did something, and it was about the third time that he did it, and it was just making me angry. And when he did it, I felt this kind of like, you know, the blood pressure go up, face is getting red. I took a deep breath, and I said, I'm going to walk in the other room, and I'll be back. Now, my son was anxious about daddy walking away. I said, son, I need 30 seconds to collect myself. Gave him one of these. I walked in the other room, I took a deep breath, I said, God, I need you to help me calm down. One of the phrases that I picked up along the way is, my child's struggles don't have to be my struggles. My child acting out doesn't have to mean I have to act out. My child acting inappropriately doesn't mean what? 
I have to act inappropriately. So think about it for a minute. When uh, uh, you, something happens and your child is, is made a poor choice, and they're now in a, in a flurry, you know, they're whatever, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're whatever, they're at the store, they're throwing a fit, and you do the same thing back to them. Now, I told you, stop it, you put that down, you quit it right now, you're me. Now, what have you just, every parent in the room is like, were you following me? <laughs> what have you just done for your child? You've modeled for them how to do what they're already doing. Good job. Now, is that what you want them to learn? Or do you want them to learn how to handle their emotions when their emotions are running wild? Listen, feelings are nothing more than feelings. Feelings are normal and natural. They're a part of the way God made the world and sometimes can be a really good gauge for something that's going on in life. We don't let them control us, but we also have to understand them. So it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. None of the feeling, any of those things do not make you more or less godly. They make you human. So you feel them, they feel them, and understand that. But until their brains are brought out of this kind of hypo-arousal or brought down from this hyperarousal into a learning state, and until your brain is brought down of hyperarousal and up out of hypo-arousal and you put down your phone and stop watching the TV and engage, and until these things happen, you're not ready to teach and they're not ready to learn. And so you can't wait hours, you can't wait days, but you can take a few moments and you can let you calm down and you can let them calm down. One of the most powerful things that we've done in our home as it relates to this issue is we've allowed ourselves to take our child and put them on the couch next to us, and if they can't handle that, then we move one chair over and we just say, you're going to calm down, I'm going to calm down, and then we're going to work through this. In really extreme situations, we've had to say, if you cannot handle this moment, if you can't get it together and be with the rest of the family, then I may have to take you upstairs until your body is calm and you can be back with us. And then when you're up there, the way that you come back and engage the family is again is you have to be able to tell the person that you've offended or hurt what you're sorry for. You have to make it better. So if you punched your brother, you got to walk up and touch him where you punched him and say, I'm sorry that I hurt you here. We usually make our brothers hug it out, and they've come up with about five different hugs. They've got the dance hug. They've got the bro hug. They've got the walking hug. Most of them are not serious because guys and hugs don't go, but we still make them do it. And then they have to tell the person that they hurt and their mommy and daddy what it is they're going to do different next time when they're angry. Because my job is not just to discipline them. My job is to what? Teach them. They're going to get angry. They're going to get sad. They're going to get hurt and frustrated. And I want to teach them when those moments come so that when they're married and their spouse does something, not that your spouses or mine ever did, but I want to teach them when their spouse reacts or acts or has a bad day or does something, I want to teach them now how to handle that. When a bully at school approaches them, I want to show them now with their brothers in the home how to handle that. So I want to teach them when to use their words and when to use their body. I want to teach them how to make things better if they do blow up and lose it. I want to teach them those things while they're moldable now. And I don't know if you know this, but in the education world, there's a little phrase that's very helpful. Repetition is the key to retention. Did you catch that? Repetition is the key 
to retention. Let me ask you a question. What's the key to retention? If I continue to repeat something, you're going to do what? Retain it. You're going to go, retention. Wait, I'm confused. (laughs) Doing the same thing over and over and over again, as annoying as that is as a parent, amen, is actually the key to your child learning what they need to learn. So listen, I want you to get this phrase. When it says instruction that comes from the Lord, the way you need to interpret that is this. It actually means this. Lead them like Jesus leads you. Instruction that comes from the Lord means lead them like Jesus leads you. So if you don't know what that means because you're new at this, praise God for grace because you get to study this and study this and read books and learn and ask questions from others who've been down this road. Colossians 3.17 says this. Now, the reason I'm going to Colossians 3, by the way, is this is the other passage where Paul says exactly what he says in Ephesians in a different way. So I I wanted to show you for illustration purposes. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, every time I've read this verse up to the last few years, I've read it as though it is me as a Christian living in the world. So whether you're a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or a restaurant owner or whatever it is, that my job in all situations is to be representative of the Lord Jesus. Do you know that it's also true for parenting? So whatever you do or say, do it as though you're representing him to them. Because I don't know if you know this, parents. Their view of God, your children's view of God, will almost directly, I can almost guarantee, will directly correlate to your relationship with them. So if you're impossible to please, guess what they'll think of God? It's impossible to please. If you are disengaged and consumed with your own life and hobbies, guess what they'll think of God? He's disengaged and too consumed with his own stuff and he's God he's got the whole universe to take care of why should he care about me if you're abusive one of my friends as we were having a conversation about this stuff once said you mean I shouldn't have called my son Nancy last night yeah that probably wasn't the best choice because if what you do is physically or verbally abusive then guess what your view their view of God is going to turn out to be well God's an angry God if your view of God is, or if your view as a parent is dismissive, uh, I, I don't ever deal with the junk in my home. I don't ever uh, act like it is a big deal, but deal with it in grace. Then they're going to think that, well, that God doesn't care how I live or how I act. Now, you may be saying, well, I, I don't know what to do with all this. That's why we're having a, sem- a parenting seminar on November 4th, by the way. But I want you to get these two little phrases. They're, they're not everything, but they're helpful. They're helpful. In your parenting, a rule without a relationship creates a rebellion. A rule without a relationship creates a rebellion. What that means is this. If the way you lead in your home is you have a lot of rules, you do this because it's the right thing to do. You do that because that's what Jesus would do. You do this because I heard the pastor say once, you needed to do that. But there's no relationship. I can almost always guarantee you what you're going to end up with is with a rebellious child. How do I know this is true? Read your Bible. Have you noticed how much Israel rebels? 
Now, I'm not saying God didn't have a relationship with Israel. No, no, no. Actually, he was very, very engaged with Israel. Israel almost always pulled away. But until Jesus showed up in the flesh and incarnated, all we had was a list of hundreds and hundreds of rules that we had to follow. And Paul tells us, what did the rules accomplish? The rules actually led us into sin. It's not that the rules were bad. The rules revealed the holiness of God. The rules were fine, but the rules revealed in us that there was sin in us. Well, guess what just might happen to exist inside your child? Rules. So how did God fix the the, the whole problem? He showed up in the flesh. He became one of us. He dwelt among us. He walked with us. He ate with us. He got sick. He held us. He comforted us. He spoke to us. He loved us. Parents, be Jesus to your children. You know what that means? It means probably turning off the TV, putting down the iPad, maybe even canceling some of your events outside the home, getting on the floor and playing together, wrestling together, being together. Now, men tend to interpret this as doing together. All right, we'll go in the backyard. We'll, you know, build that thing we've been wanting to build. There's a time and a place for that. There is. Especially if you have boys, men, part of what they need to do to learn to become a man in the world is work with you and learn how you do things. But having one man recently tell me that every time he did a project with his dad, all his, his dad was so consumed with it being done his way, there was no relationship building going on there. So men, you have to ask yourself, wives, you have to ask yourself, mothers, I should say, how is this interaction developing their relationship How am I modeling for them who God is in this moment? Am I engaged? Are they important? And see, you may have your own issues with this because of your parents who may be sitting in the room or be here with you today. This isn't a tend to hurt anybody. See, they may have their issues because of their relationship with their parents. See how this goes back far enough? We go all the way back. We'll get to Adam and Eve, all right? Because all of this comes as a byproduct of the fall. But the question for you is, do you want to be the generation who draws a line in the sand and says, these patterns are not going with us any further. They're going to stop with me. And I'm not going to raise my kids to the place of God in our family. No, 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 that's not healthy. But I am going to raise my kids to where they belong, which is God, marriage, my kids, my job, my hobbies. Their sports. Our relationship is going to become so crucial because that's what Jesus did with you. And then he looked at you. He said, now love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second thing is true too. A relationship without a rule encourages no restraint. A relationship without a rule encourages no restraint. And what I mean simply by that is this. If you're the parent who's the best friend parent, who never puts boundaries in place for your children, never says what's good or bad or right or wrong, never holds them uh, accountable for their actions, never teaches them to walk through things, then you are creating a child who will never understand restraint. And you are actually hurting them. Deeply, profoundly. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law 
is joyful. I'm looking at my notes and realizing I have another whole sermon's worth of stuff that I don't have time for, which is why we're doing a parenting seminar. So I'm going to cut and paste on the fly. I just want to say this real quick. Um, I want to show you Colossians 3 again as we get ready to wrap up here. I want to come back to that provoke part, but take a look. Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. Children, always obey your parents. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Now you'll notice in two different passages, in two different books, in two different towns, in two different churches, Paul essentially says the same thing. Except here he says aggravate and before he says uh, provoke. Some passages, some versions of these passages use the word exasperate. And it sounds a little bit like Donald Duck, right? That's exasperating. I don't even know exactly what the word exasperate means, so I had to go read about this word, aggravate and provoke, and essentially you need to picture this. Picture a fire, fathers. And when the fire is starting to die down, you take the little stick or whatever, and you do what? You provoke the fire, and the fire starts to get inflamed, right? I don't know what it is about us men, but don't we have a phenomenal ability to do this? Don't we just have that ability to poke and to prod and to needle and to nod into such a way that we just drive everybody bonkers in the home and all the wives are like, yes. My wife will look at me sometimes and be like, would you stop it? Who is the child here? You. <laughs> well, this passage, this little word means men. When your children are really feeling the weight of what they did, your job is not to crush them by pushing it further. Your job is not to push them over the edge. Your job is not to make it worse. Your job is not to irritate. Your job is not to, uh, literally, I might use the word, destroy their little hearts in their heads. Your job is to discipline, which means to teach them. Understand this. Understand this. I'm going to leave you with a homework assignment. Behavior is communication. Behavior is communication. What I've been trying to say through this whole message, and maybe haven't said it as clearly as this, I want you to learn to read hearts, not words and actions. Learn to read hearts, not words and actions. Here's what I mean by this. When your child is acting out, they're telling you something. We went out of town this weekend. We had a phenomenal weekend. Um, went to French Lick, did the whole Thomas the Train. And, and for Friday, we went down Friday to the, the whatever adventure, whatever that thing is called, Big Splash, whatever it's called. Anyway, we went down to the water park. And we spent about four and a half to five hours at the water park Friday. So by Saturday, guess what my kids were? Tired. Like, we couldn't consume enough calories. We couldn't drink enough drinks. We were so hungry, so thirsty. My son even woke up in the middle of the night. I think he was dehydrated. I win the Parent of the Year Award. All right. So... Uh, we're all day long, they're grumpy, they're whining, they're moody. Now, I know they're not trying to disobey me. Their behavior is trying to tell me something. But guess who else was tired? Their mother. Okay, and me. <laughs> but we come home, and my wife is dropping hints the whole two-hour ride back. Oh, I'm just so tired. Oh, I'm just so tired. And I know what's coming. We walk in the door, we get everything unloaded, and she looks at me, she's like, do you care if I go take a nap? Now, if I'm honest, I'm saying yes, but I know my job is to be plugged into God so she could plug into me. She needed rest. That's fine. 
So we decided we'd let them play a little bit of Xbox and iPad. We would let them have their 30-minute allotment. It had been a few days. Fine. And we're sitting there playing, and one of my son is, sons is completely melting down at everything. Oh, you hit the wrong button. No, I did it. I was just crying. Now, I'm asking him to stop, stop yelling at his brother, stop trying to hit his brother, but he's just out of control. I had to take the Xbox away. I had to put it down. I had to remove him from the Xbox because the Xbox was bringing the worst out in him. Now, there's a part of me because I was tired. I just wanted to provoke. I wanted to needle just a little. I wanted to laugh or tease because it was kind of funny, but it wasn't funny for him. His behavior was telling me something. It's not that he's trying to disrespect me and disobey me. His behavior is saying what everybody in the room already knew. He's tired, but he can't go to bed at 2 o'clock. So I need him to push through, but if that's going to be the case, then he needs me to lead him through it. So I'm learning to read his heart. So I'm looking at him saying, buddy, if we can't get it together, we're going to have to turn off the Xbox. Meltdown city. I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm like, this is where I really want to go, yeah, really? But I'm not, my job is not to provoke him, but to stay calm through it and say, buddy, your words are saying you can handle it, but your body is telling you you can't. Take him in the other room, help him completely calm down, and now I have a decision to make. Is he allowed to go back to the Xbox or not? I decided to give it one more try, and he was able to push through and handle it. Are you starting to get a picture for what it looks like? Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 12, since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves, think about this, parents, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Amen, parents? And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. It's interesting to me that Paul says all of this in the very context of his passage in Colossians about husbands, wives, and parents. Do you think he just meant the church at large or your neighbors, or do you think he actually meant in your Imagine if mercy and tenderheartedness and humility and kindness and Christ-like attitude reigned in your parenting. What might be different? Now, I realize you have a billion questions in your situation and your child, and that's why on November the 4th, we're going to have one conversation about this, not all of them. But what I want to do right now is pray because this message probably lands in a thousand different places. For some of you who just needed this wisdom today, you're going to take it and try to start applying it. For some of you maybe who are adults now and your kids are raised, maybe you're being convicted by some things you didn't do well, and you don't know what to do with that. Listen, the answer for all of us, the answer for all of us is the cross of Christ. Because there's no perfect parent, including yours truly. I can tell you about all the things I wish I hadn't done this weekend that I did do that made things worse. The cross of Christ is the answer for all of us because it's at the cross we find the grace to overcome our sins and the grace to lead our children when they need it and we have failed. 
So what we want to do is go to the cross of Christ at communion, take that bread, take that juice, and really eat and drink in the mercy that is ours in him, the power that is ours in him. And just lay out whatever it is in your heart you need to talk to him about. Let me pray for you while our communion servers head out to get everything ready. Father in heaven, oh God, you know this message is deep in my heart just because I look out at all these families and I see, God, such potential. Lord, you place the kids in our lives are a joy and a reward from you. So, God, you place these kids in our lives to both change us and for us to lead them. Father, I pray for the men and the women in this room, whether married, remarried, or single. I pray, God, that you would give them great insight. May something I said today that's from you stick deep in their heart. May they go apply some things differently. May they handle some things differently, God, whether it's a story or a passage or a, or a point. Father, I pray that as we come to you in communion, may we just find your mercy and your grace awash over us. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect pastor. Not this side of the garden. So God, until heaven comes, we hang on to you because you are literally all we need. And Lord, may we change a generation. In Jesus' name.